This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. Yesterday, Feb 28 was Rare Disease Day. Some diseases are extremely rare, others less so. So as a whole, the number of people with rare diseases is not small. In Singapore, around 2,000 to 3,000 people have a rare disease. Today, we'll zoom in on one of them, and that's hereditary angioedema, or HAE. That's a genetic condition that involves recurrent attacks of swelling in various parts of the body, including the hands, feet, genitals, stomach, face, or throat. So in Singapore, there are a total of about 20 HAE cases, and Tantoxing Hospital manages the largest pool of such patients among the public hospitals. So my guest today is Dr. Tan Zichin, a senior consultant from the hospital's Department of Rheumatology, Allergy and Immunology. And we're looking at HAE because the attacks that come with this disease can be life-threatening and getting screened for it can help with the management of the disease. Hi, Dr. Tan. Welcome to Health Check. Hi, Joyce. Thank you for having me today. So the challenge with HAE is the unpredictable nature of the attacks, right? So tell us how frequent the attacks are and what can people with HAE do about it? Mm. So the full name is um, hereditary angioedema, or HAE for short. As what you've said, it is very unpredictable. The disease is also potentially fatal if the airway were to be swollen and patients may actually suffocate. It's unpredictable in that there's really no way to tell how um, often a patient is going to get an attack because some patients may have very frequent attacks and yet there's still also a population of patients that may actually not have any symptoms at all until much later on in life. And that's sometimes how we diagnose some of our adult patients as well. Uh, We have an estimated um, 21 patients with HAE in Singapore uh, managed at the various government hospitals and institutions in Singapore. Tan Tok Seng does happen to have the largest number of HAE patients. Currently, we have um, 15 who are on active follow-up with us. So when do the symptoms usually appear? Typically, they usually happen in the first decade of life and most patients are expected to have some symptoms by the time they hit 15 years of age. Although this is the norm and not the rule, in review of the patients who have HAE in Singapore, the mean age of onset is actually around 20 years of age and the mean age of diagnosis is actually 33 That means you would have had few attacks, but you don't know what it is until... Yes, yeah, because the attacks are unpredictable and sometimes um, if they happen very, very infrequently and sporadically, they may be mistaken for just allergies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how can you, you know, how do you tell the swelling apart from those that come from allergies? Well, there are a few clues. First of all, for typical allergies, let's say you take a patient with a food or drug allergy besides the swelling, Patients may often also have a rash such as hives or wheels that accompany it as well. And typically, patients are able to identify a trigger that brought upon the allergy such as taking a wrong medication or food. Whereas in HAE, the attacks tend to be swellings only with a very little rash per se. Although there are certain types of HAE where a very specific rash may actually precede the attack. And HAE attacks come on very unpredictably and patients are often not able to identify a trigger. And most of the time, there's also an accompanying family history 
other family members being diagnosed or presenting with the same, as this is a genetic disorder as well. If you don't have family members with this disease, right, how are the cases picked up? They would have gone to a GP, I suppose. Yes. So the patients who experience mild attacks may have gone to see a GP or polyclinic to perhaps see an allergy specialist. For other cases, the very first sign of the disease may already be a serious one with airway swelling and they may present straight to the emergency department instead, following which then, based on the history that we get and the test, then we do make the diagnosis that during that encounter. I see. So for the, you know, you mentioned the swelling, right? How long does it usually last? Um, well, typically the swellings do self-resolve in a matter of days. This kind of swelling, because it does involve the skin or internal organs, does take a little bit longer, perhaps about two to three days as a ballpark figure. Earlier you mentioned that it can be fatal, right? Yes, indeed. How many cases are there in Singapore already? For fatalities, um, to my knowledge, we have two HAE-related mortalities, both who have had windpipe swelling. And it's unpredictable, right? Are there triggers to watch out for? Or? For patients who have HAE, the typical triggers would include um, infections, as well as what we would say is localised trauma to that area. So, for example, if a patient with HAE had perhaps knocked his or her hand, that limb may become swollen. Patients who sometimes undergo dental treatment because there is actually instrumentation of the mouth and oral cavity may actually develop a HAE flare at that specific region. So, yeah, it's something that we always advise our patients to be um, wary about. If you've been diagnosed with it, HAE, I mean, you know, what can you do, right? Because you're just living day by day, just waiting for this attack to come on. Ah, there is actually um, light at the end of the tunnel because there is um, medical treatment for patients with HAE. And this treatment comes in two broad categories. One is what we would say um, prophylactic treatment, which means medications taken on a regular basis to actually prevent HAE flares from coming out and to allow our patients to actually have a normal quality of life. And the other part of treatment would be the what we would say the on-demand rescue treatment. If patients had any serious flare, it would be to quickly abort the flare and reduce the symptom severity. Oh, how is that done? Uh, there are many types available. Um, the majority of the treatment for rescue is through an injectable. So this would be either uh, intravenous, where the medications administered in into the bloodstream, or um, subcutaneous. Um, in Singapore, we are using the intravenous form of treatment. It's called Baronet, and it is essentially um, what we call a recombinant protein that actually replaces the deficiency of the specific enzyme called C1 esterase inhibitor um, that patients with HAE have a lack of. Does that mean they must get to the hospital? Is that like a time period that they should get to the hospital? Well, generally, if there is any HAE flare, um, regardless of whether it's a mild one, even if it's a lip or eye swelling, we would advise HAE patients to seek medical attention because there's always a risk that the flare may progress on to something more serious. And of course, patients who are already experiencing some red flags or warning symptoms like the throat feels a little bit uncomfortable, should receive emergency care as soon as possible. So even though now there is treatment, so for somebody who experienced it for the first time, I mean, you'd be worried and rushing to any hospital. Yes, and that, 
every hospital will be able to treat it, right? I, th- I think that also depends on the availability of specialists in that hospital. This is a disorder that is handled mostly by allergists. Not all the restructured hospitals have this particular specialty there. The availability of on-demand treatment is also another factor. So to this, as Tan Tok Seng does have the largest pool of HAE patients, I'm also quite happy to say that we have uh, last year had a collaboration with the Singapore Civil Defence Force, SCDF Ambulance Service, in that through our local allergy and clinical immunology network called the Allergy and Clinical Immunology Society of Singapore, we have pulled all the HAE patients, not just in Tantok Singh, but also those that are managed in other hospitals, to be issued with a letter that is shown to the ambulance officer when the SCDF is activated to bring them to Tantok Singh for treatment. Of course, this does not exclude them from being treated at other hospitals as well. Um, However, we do have large quantities of the on-demand treatment to be able to meet the needs of our patients should they present with an emergency. I see. So what if you're like a, you know undiagnosed index case you don't know and you rush to your nearest hospital. So that's still fine. Um, The hospitals then would still be aware of this condition. And of course, any acute emergency can be managed by the hospital's emergency department. And if any emergency procedures are needed, then the advice is of course to proceed with those as well. And then if the diagnosis of HAE is made in time, then these patient-specific measures can then be instituted for that patient. The on-demand treatment does help to stave off further progression of the attacks and also to reverse the attacks as fast as possible. But of course, uh, that does not preclude the use of other emergency measures such as having a breathing tube put in to quickly stabilise the airway first. And that can be done independent of uh, the on-demand treatment for HAE. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Tan Zichin, a senior consultant from the Department of Rheumatology, Allergy and Immunology at TTSH. So which hospitals in Singapore do not have allergists? I would say that most of NUH, SGH have allergy specialties. In Changi General Hospital has uh, allergists in training. And there are also allergy-trained senior consultants in Kutik Park Hospital. So I think that covers most of the region. Um, I think for the newer hospitals that are being established, that would then depend on the clinical need and services available. I see. Okay. I'm just wondering about the timing as well, because if you have swelling of windpipe, right? So the windpipe swelling can actually progress in a matter of minutes, and that's, I think, the frightening thing about this disease. However, most of the time, there is usually a bit of warning first. The patient may feel that there's a bit of throat discomfort and a bit of tightness, and that's when they should actually have the presence of mind to quickly seek help. And also, HAE patients may experience what we call a prodrome before an actual flare comes on. 
some of the these prodromal symptoms that have been reported in literature include just non-specific signs like um, perhaps malaise, feeling unwell, uh, nausea and vomiting, and some patients even have a sense of agitation before an actual attack comes on because of basically how these enzymes in, involved in HAE sort of interplay with other cells in the body as well. So there are always perhaps a little bit of warning signs coming on. And also, if there was a clear trigger like uh, the local trauma that we talked about, then patients may, of course, have a higher index of concern if they do develop any symptoms following any of these events as well. So I guess for the layperson as opposed to like a swelling from having an allergic reaction, if you have HAE swelling, you would have this general discomfort, like feeling unwell, etc. Yeah, you may have some of these signs. And then for the HAE swelling, usually in most of the cases, there's no accompanying rash that comes on, which is conversely present in other allergic reactions. Although a small population of patients with HAE do actually develop a very specific red-ringed rash, we call it erythema marginatum, prior to the onset of the swelling. So that's another clue as well. But I mean, just personally, I'm kind of disturbed by this mm. going to the hospital thing. I mean, because the swelling can progress within minutes, right? For that matter, I think this is actually a problem that any HAE patient any country faces. So one of the treatment developments would actually be the development of rescue treatment, on-demand treatment that the patient can actually administer themselves at home first. So this is where the what we call subcutaneous injectables come in. And so subcutaneous means it's injected into the top layer of the skin, typically in the tummy, like how perhaps a patient with diabetes would administer the insulin. So certain forms of uh, HAE on-demand treatment actually come in subcutaneous form as well. So um, in the pipeline for us is actually getting hold of the subcutaneous treatment. The treatment is available worldwide in Western countries. In Singapore, uh, we are trying to bring it in. So this is also our initiative for this year. We have made an application for this to be brought in under the uh, Rare Diseases Fund. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that. Right. Okay. So you mentioned it's genetic. So in a way, it's kind of, then it's more or less managed in that sense? Because there won't be too many in the community. Those who we've asked for family screening are those who are already known to have HAE. It is a genetic condition, but there may be new mutations in a particular individual who's not had any history in the family. In other words, that individual happens to be the one who has developed that genetic mutation. And like it's a the sporadic mutation. Yeah. Oh my that, God. That okay. patient becomes the, the index case in that family. Yes. But you know, for those cases, it's really hard, right? So you, you would only go to the doctor if you have swelling, right? Yes, yes. Or um, if that particular individual has a family member who has uh, the disorder and so he or she should proactively go for screening if they haven't been already advised to do so. Is it something that, um, you know, doctors are generally aware of? I think it is a diagnosis that has its challenges in that it is commonly mistaken for allergies or either the patient or physician may not think of HAE in itself given how rare the disorder is and therefore for patients with swellings that don't seem to have a trigger 
if HAE is not entertained as one of the possible diagnoses, then there is a chance that it may be missed. So we also do hope that to raise awareness of this disorder among medical practitioners as well. Okay, so for the public, it's more for them to be aware Yes, if they have a family member with this. Actually, if you're the index cases, what can you do? I think as an index case, if there is this concerning history of sporadic swellings and the person's not able to really identify a cause, and if he or she is perhaps quite young, then it might be worthwhile to at least um, see a, a medical practitioner to see if there's a chance that they may have HAE, given that the screening tests are relatively easy to perform as well. And these are mainly through blood tests. There are a lot of rare diseases, right, actually, yes. right? I mean, in yes. Singapore, I see this number is about two to 3,000. I think that the rare diseases generally would be managed by the individual specialist or, or specialty. So the figures would definitely vary and I think one thing that we also do have to take into consideration when uh, looking at the prevalence of rare disease is whether a particular country does have the available facilities to make the diagnosis, um, which is also something to take into consideration in examining, for example, the prevalence of uh, HAE in Asia-Pacific or across the world as well. You mean the screening? Yes. Uh, HAE, there is a simple screening blood test. We test for levels of a particular protein called complement 4C4 in patients. And patients with HAE would generally have low levels of this. However, following that, we do still need to do uh, the diagnostic test to confirm the disease. And uh, not all countries would be equipped with the facilities to actually perform this test. How common is HAE? In Singapore, the uh, prevalence of HAE is uh, 0.33 per 100,000. And in Asia Pacific, the prevalence is 0.02 per 100,000. Oh, so there's more cases in Singapore? Uh, yes, but again, we feel that this is related probably more to the availability of diagnostics and specialties rather than specific ethnic or geographical differences between countries. I mean, I'm just wondering among rare diseases, because there are so many, right? And then some, maybe there are like five cases or 10. I mean, this one, 15, it's like, do you even consider more common of the rare diseases? I would say that we did find that we do have quite a number of HAE patients diagnosed and in fact this may even be higher than other rare diseases that, uh, for example, my department manages. So it's uh, definitely an interesting finding and in fact there may be more HAE cases being diagnosed now because of, again, proactive advisory and recommendation of family members to get their other member screened. So there are still new cases being picked up, for example, at KK Hospital as well. So among your, the patients that you take care of, I mean, what are their key challenges? For the younger patients, I think the key challenges is ensuring that they have good quality of life, especially in terms of the psychosocial aspects, um, socialisation, some of them perhaps anxiety of how the disease is going to affect them. And I think... This being a genetic disorder, there's always a concern about family planning as well and how the outlook on the rest of the life is going to be. However, the encouraging thing is that we do have quite a variety of prophylactic and on-demand treatment now as it is. 
And with new treatments coming in, I'm quite confident to say that the outlook is actually quite good for our HAE patients. In addition, uh, not everything is doom and gloom. Um, Interestingly, it's also been found that um, some HAE patients, even though they have the abnormal blood test and a family history, may not actually have symptoms. Um, some of them may be attack-free or some of them may be at most limited to very, very mild attacks. I'd just like to raise, I think, the importance of considering HAE as a diagnosis for patients who come with recurrent swellings. And perhaps for listeners, if there is anyone in the family with known HAE, do encourage the family to come for screening. And how much is this test? Is it expensive? It's not. I don't think I've got the exact figures, but it is actually a test that's readily available. So in um, government hospitals, it's not a test that's readily available at primary care. Although primary care can do the initial screening test, which is a complement for but the diagnostic tests uh, need to be done at institution. Okay, great. Thanks, Dr. Tan. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.